Well, hello, church family and friends. Thank you again for joining us this morning. And let me say just once again to all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I hope that you are coddled and I hope you're loved on today because you deserve it. And uh, you moms are rock stars, especially uh, during this season. Like a lot of people think miracles don't happen anymore. And I'm like, have you seen how creative moms have been during this quarantine? Like, it's insane, okay? It's insane. There's not, it's nothing short of a miracle. And so I just want to let all of you moms know out there again that here at Wayside, we love you. Uh, we're praying for you. We're grateful for you. And we hope that you have a wonderful day today. And we mean that with all of our hearts. Uh, well, we're going to be back in Galatians again this morning. Uh, so if you would, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 25, and we'll go all the way through chapter 6, verse 10. But before we jump in, I'd I'd love just to invite you uh, to pray with me uh, before we jump into this text as we ask for God to bless our time. So would you bow with me now? Well, Father God, we we love you, and we are so thankful that you're a God of grace. Uh, You're a God who continually gives us that which we don't deserve. That's just who you are. That's your character. And we praise you for that, Lord. And God, we do ask, as we dive into your word again this morning, would you open up our eyes to see what you want us to see? And would you fill our hearts with truth that would lead us to action? And so, God, we ask you to do that right now. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's start reading in chapter 5, verse 25. Uh, It says this. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself. So that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Amen. Amen. Well, starting in verse 25, we see Paul calling to mind the reality that believers who have trusted in Christ for the salvation of their sins have been given the promise Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead who now indwells inside of us. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us assurance of salvation. 
It is He who enables us to live the Christian life. For the believer in Christ, God exists in us in a very personal, in a very intimate way through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. He never leaves us. He's always leading us. He's always guiding us. And the reason we've been given the Holy Spirit is so that we wouldn't have to be enslaved by our sin anymore, but now we would have the opportunity to live a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we saw last week in chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. And Paul pleads with believers in Christ to understand that we've been called to a new way of living. But this new way of living will only come to fruition if we intentionally walk by the Spirit. Which is why he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but the natural question is, Well, what does it look like to practically walk by the Spirit? And we mentioned some things last week. We talked about to walk by the Spirit is to learn from Jesus, is to obey what He says no matter how we feel. And as we learn from Jesus and obey what He says, regardless of how we feel, the fruit of the Spirit will manifest. But the question remains, when the fruit of the Spirit manifests, what will be the product? What will be the outcome? What does a spirit-led life look like? Does it just mean that my quiet times are just going to be bumping? Like this, it's just going to be vibrant? Like every time I read the word, I'm just going to be in tears? Does the spirit-led life mean that I'm going to experience miracles and signs and wonders? Like what does the spirit-led life practically look like? And interestingly enough, as Paul emphasizes the spirit-led life in this passage, he says nothing about spiritual gifts. He says nothing about miracles, signs, and wonders. He says nothing about quiet times. Instead, he says, if you want to walk by the Spirit, if you want to fulfill the law of Christ, here's what it looks like. Humbly, Love one another in self-sacrificial Christian community. That's what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. As we learn from Jesus and obey Him, we will humbly love one another in Christian community. I was reading a commentary the other day about a pastor in New York who had a woman in the congregation come up to him and say, Pastor, we need to see some more signs and wonders. We just haven't been seeing many signs and wonders lately. And the pastor responded, ma'am, over there sits a lady who's just been evicted from her apartment with her three children. I would consider it a sign and a wonder if you would invite her to live with you in your home for the next three months. If you truly want to abide in Christ and walk with the Spirit, then love one another self sacrificially. Walking with the Spirit should lead us into community. Uh, Years ago, we had an international student from China in one of the Bible studies that I was leading. And he wasn't a Christian, but he was really curious about Christianity. 
because he acknowledged that wherever he went, whether that was the United Kingdom, whether that was China, or whether that was the United States of America, no matter where he was all over the world, he noticed that Christians were different. They always befriended him. And he said these words. He says they loved each other unusually. Unusually. And it stood out to him. And that's what Paul's hitting at. He says, as you follow the Spirit, as the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in your life, your love for one another should be abnormal. It should be abnormal. It should stand out. Love within the Christian community should be different. Which means the only way it's possible to truly walk in the Spirit is if we are invested in a biblical community of believers. Meaning, if you are not plugged into a biblical community of believers, don't tell me you are walking by the Spirit. That is not possible. Just as we talked about last week, it's not possible to gratify the deeds of the flesh and at the same time gratify the things of God. In the same way, it's not possible to walk with the Spirit and not be invested in a community of believers. Watching or listening to a sermon is not in and of itself biblical community. Listening to sound biblical teaching is paramount. We need that. We're going to talk about that later. But if that's all church is to you, then you're not walking by the Spirit. Because the Spirit-led life leads us into community. Walking with the Spirit will propel you to carry one another's burdens and love each other self sacrificially, and that's what this passage is all about. And as Paul talks about biblical community in this passage, he's going to highlight four categories of people that we're called to love within the church. And the first type of people we're called to love in our church are believers who have fallen into sin. That's what chapter 6 verse 1 is all about. The second type of people we're called to love are believers in the church who are burdened. That's verses 2 through 5. The third type of people he addresses us to love are those who teach God's word. Me. (laughs) That's verse 6. And then lastly, in verses 7 through 10, he addresses everybody else. As he calls followers of Christ, to do good to all people, but especially to those in the church. So let's start by examining the first type of people we're called to love. Believers who have fallen into sin. Verse 1 speaks of a brother, a believer in the church, who has been caught in a trespass. This word trespass means that he went where he never should have gone. And you get the idea that he was somehow caught by this sin. Somehow he got entangled and trapped by this sin. And it's really important to grasp. We need to get this because it ties in really well with other verses like 2 Corinthians 2.11 where Paul says, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. Paul tells the 
Corinthian church to be fully aware, for the evil one has already set up traps that he wants you to fall into. Paul says, you need to be on your guard because as a follower of Christ, Satan hates you. He hates you. He wants you to fall. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into one of his traps and we'll entangle ourselves in sin. And as many of you know, it's so easy to fall into these traps because our flesh still wages war against our spirit. We still crave some of the very things that we at the same time hate. And some of you are listening right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about because in this very moment, you feel trapped by your sin. And what Paul emphasizes here is that in those moments when we feel trapped by our sin, we need the church family to help pry open these traps so that we can be set free. Uh, years ago, uh, my family was on campus at Texas A&M University, and uh, for whatever reason, my parents decided to bring our family dog, our famous Shih Tzu named Boo. And, uh, and unfortunately, Boo uh, wandered off and we lost him on this great big Texas A&M campus. And let me tell you, you should have seen how the Upmore family went into action. Okay, it was a full-fledged rescue operation. We split up in teams. We went to different parts of the campus. We called the campus police. We called friends and we invited them to come and search for our dog. We did everything in our willpower to find this darn dog. And once we found Boo... Uh, we celebrated as if he had been raised from the dead, okay? Like, it was a massive celebration. And many of you who have family pets would have done the same thing, which is convicting. Because what's more important, a wandering pet or a strayed brother or sister in Christ? The problem is there's this line of thinking in our culture, like if someone's struggling in sin, that's none of my business, right? They do their thing, I do my thing. And that may be how our culture operates, but that is not how the church operates. Because as believers in Christ, we've been united in faith. This is about family now. If you're struggling, we're all struggling. We're in this together. Your blessings are now my blessings. Your sin struggles are now my sin struggles because we're a team. We're a team. So the question is, well, well, what do we do then when someone in the church family falls into sin? We restore them. We restore them. This Greek word for restore means to put back in order, to repair. It's the same word used for the resetting of a fractured bone. And the reason you reset the bone is so that it will function in the way that it was supposed to, so that that bone can assist the rest of the body. The purpose of restoration is not to beat up a struggling sinner. We don't guilt them and make them feel horrible. If they have the Spirit of God in them, they already feel horrible. We go to our struggling brother or sister, and we say, hey, we need you. You're part of our body. When you're not walking with the Spirit, we can't function the way that we are meant to. 
There's grace for you. We love you. Let us help you. And then we restore them gently. But that's not the experience of so many people in the church. Some of you are listening right now, and you've been burned by the church. Because you confessed your sin, and the church chewed you up, and they spit you out. And the reason you were burned is because the person trying to restore you was not spiritual. A.K.A. they were not walking with the Spirit themselves. You can't help someone walk with the Spirit if you are not walking with the Spirit yourself. That's why when you get onto an airplane, they instruct you if there's an emergency up in the sky, if there's a crisis, and these oxygen masks come down, don't try to help someone else with their oxygen mask until you first put it on yourself because you ain't helping anybody if you're dead. It's the same with the church. Don't go on a rescue mission to restore others. If you're not walking with the Spirit yourself, you'll do more harm than good. And then Paul adds a caveat. He says, even if you're walking with the Spirit, you need to be careful as you restore someone that you do not fall into the same sin that they've fallen into because you're human and you're capable of falling just like they have. Right now during our pandemic, doctors are considered high risk because they treat those with the disease and as they do that, they themselves are at risk of catching the disease. And the same is true for us as we help others overcome sin. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't help others conquer sin. We absolutely should, but we need to be extra careful because we're human. We need to take extra precautions as we help others fight sin. We need to take heed lest we fall too. And that's Paul's point. But let's transition now to the Second category of people that Paul mentions, and that's those in the church who have been burdened in verses 2 through 5. Uh, Galatians 6.2 is a key verse. Like, highlight it in your Bible, write it on the mirror. Okay, this is a big, big verse, and here's why. Because if you're asking yourself right now, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, how do I make the most of my life and glorify Christ. Well, this verse tells you the answer. Paul says, devote your life to being aware of other people's burdens, and for Christ's sake, make it your mission to help those people carry their burdens. That, in a nutshell, is how you love God and how you love people. Be aware of other people's burdens in the church. Take notice of them. And then help them to carry those burdens for Christ's sake. That's a worthwhile life. Because the reality is, in this life, burdens are unavoidable. Jesus tells us in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, in this world, you're going to have tough seasons. Because this world is broken, and that's just part of life. And many well-meaning people out there will often say, God will never give you more than you can handle, uh, which I actually firmly disagree with. I believe the scriptures reveal 
the complete opposite, that at times God will give you actually more than you can handle in order to show you that you can't do this on your own because we are not self-sufficient. The only way we are going to get through those hard times is if we trust God with our burdens. It says this in Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. As we go through tough seasons, as we cast our burdens to the Lord, He becomes our rock. He becomes our shield, our mighty fortress who will sustain us during times of trouble. And one of the ways that he will sustain us is through the assistance of other faithful believers. You catch that? At times in this life, the way that the Lord is going to sustain us during tough seasons is through the assistance of other faithful believers. But in order to receive assistance from believers, we got to do the hard work of actually letting people know that we need help which takes a great deal of humility because it's easier at times just to put on a mask, act like we're okay, be the tough guy. But here's the thing. If you're walking with the Spirit, He's going to lead you to expose those burdens and allow others to help you. Uh, The famous boxer Muhammad Ali, uh, there's a famous story once of, of him boarding a plane and the flight attendant told him to prepare for takeoff by buckling his seatbelt, to which he famously shot back, Superman don't need no seatbelt, to which the flight attendant responded, and Superman don't need no plane either. Buckle up. Be careful from thinking that you are a spiritual Superman. Humble yourself, recognize your humanity, and allow others to come alongside of you. And in the same vein, walking with the Spirit means that we are willing to carry others' burdens. Mutual burden bearing is what the Christian is called to. Like if you think that you are somehow above your Christian brother or sister, that you don't really need to help them carry their burden, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Because those who truly get grace will naturally give it to others which is what we see in verses 2 through 5. But then you've got verse 5, which seems to contradict verse 2. In verse 2, Paul says we should bear one another's burdens. And then verse 5 says we should bear our own load. So, which is it? Do we bear one another's burdens or do we bear our own load? And I was talking to uh, Pastor Walt McCord about this, or Professor McCord, Um, And he mentioned that in this instance, it would be helpful to examine the original Greek. And so let's do that. In verse 2, the Greek word for burden is defined as weight or heavy load. It's something beyond the normal capacity to carry. As opposed to load in verse 5, which is what a person could be expected to carry. Think like a backpack. The meaning is clear. Some things in life are so heavy that we can't bear them alone. We need help. And if we don't get help, it will crush us. 
And then there are other things in life that are equivalent to carrying a backpack. For not everything in life is a crisis. And you don't need to burden other people with those small things. You need to carry your own backpack. The point here is really clear. Don't confuse heavy burdens with light loads. Let me give you a couple examples. Your roommate stays up all night playing video games. And then they expect you to wake them up in the morning so that, so that they don't lose their job or flunk out of school. That ain't a heavy burden. That's a put your backpack on, set your alarm, get up, and go to work. Or for others of you, you have a friend who wastes all of their money on lotto tickets and refuses to go look for work. That ain't a heavy burden. That's a put your backpack on, stop gambling, and go get you a job. But then, there are sad situations where a husband will leave his wife for another woman. And now that mom has to raise her family all by herself. That is a heavy burden. Or you've just went to the doctor and you figured out that you've been diagnosed with cancer. That is a heavy burden. Or right now you're struggling on Mother's Day because you've been going through infertility, yet you've been keeping it all to yourself. That is a heavy burden. Or maybe you just lost your job because of COVID-19 and you're looking, you're trying, but you can't find any other work. That is a heavy burden. And the problem for some of us is we treat heavy burdens like it's just a backpack. I can do it. I can lift it by myself. I can... No, you can't. You need help. You weren't meant to carry it by yourself. And if you go at it alone, it's going to crush you. You need to allow other people to come alongside you, to lift up your arms and help you to carry your burden. And then there are other people who treat everything like a heavy burden. And they occupy hours of other people's time when they should be taking care of it themselves. And what Paul is saying to believers in Christ, he's saying walk by the Spirit by taking responsibility for your light loads while helping others with their heavy burdens as you allow them to help you with yours. That's his point. That's his point. But Paul shifts his focus in verse 6 to the third group of people he addresses in this passage. And that's to those who teach God's word. Paul tells those in the church to share all good things with those who teach them. The Greek word for teach refers to those who teach the fundamentals of the faith. This is someone who consistently teaches the orthodox truths of Christianity. This is someone who's living out 2 Timothy 4.2. Someone who faithfully teaches the word of God in season and out of season. And it's a reminder to all of us that in order for true biblical community to exist, you need to be learning from faithful teachers who are committed to God's word which is really, really rare in our society. A church that is walking by the Spirit is at its core a Bible-teaching church. For those of you watching right now, and perhaps you don't belong to a church, 
I want to encourage you to find a Bible-saturated church. If you are here in San Antonio, we'd love for you to join ours. We'd love for you to join Wayside Chapel. Email us. We'd love to connect with you. If not, that's totally fine. But find one. Find a church that is adamant about diving into God's word in season and out of season. And in this passage specifically, Paul encourages those in the church to share all good things with their teacher. Which if you look at the original language, uh, this essentially means to support their teachers materially. This would include food, money, or whatever good things are appropriate for the teacher's welfare. And as you read the scriptures, you'll see that there were times, there were seasons when Paul provided for himself, where he would make tents for a living, and then he would pastor and he would preach on the side. And then there were other seasons where Paul would preach and he would pastor full time as he depended fully upon the gifts of the congregation. Even here at Wayside, uh, many of our pastors used to be in all sorts of different professions before we actually got into full-time pastoring. Uh, Roger used to be a police officer. I used to be a coach. And during those seasons, we did church ministry on the side. But then the Lord provided opportunities for us to focus full-time on pastoring. And we're so grateful to be able to do that, but we're also prepared in the future, if God wills, to go back into bivocational ministry, if that's what's necessary. Um, even this past week here at Wayside, our pastoral team had a budget meeting, all-day budget meeting, where all of the ministry leaders, we came together and we presented two different budgets. One budget was our normal budget. If things continue as normal, then here's what we'd like to do with the ministry. But we also presented a worst-case scenario budget, meaning if everything hits the fan and perhaps all of us on the pastoral team would need to be bivocational, here's what a budget would look like. And I tell you that just to let you know, like we, we take stewarding the gifts here at Wayside really seriously. Like even on that day, one of our pastors led a devotional and he was in tears as he talked about us stewarding these resources well. We take it very seriously. And we're grateful that here at Wayside, because of your faithful giving, we're not having to implement our worst case scenario budget. And our prayer is for that to continue. But who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we're doing our best to be prepared. And while we are not struggling financially right now as a church, uh, many other churches are, especially rural churches in Africa, in Peru, in Guatemala, where these churches aren't able to meet, and they don't have online giving, and so the pastor's are like, man, how am I to make ends meet? And so because of your generous giving, we've been able to send financial gifts to struggling rural pastors and ministries all over the world. And so we want to thank you for your generosity. And that's what Paul is encouraging his Galatian church to do. Continue blessing your pastors materially as they bless you spiritually. Well, lastly, in verses 7 through 10, and we'll close after this, 
Paul encourages the church to invest their time and resources into the Spirit's work and to not grow weary in doing good. Paul talks about sowing and reaping in verses 7 through 8. And we talked about this last week in Galatians chapter 5. There are only two fields in which you can sow. The field of the flesh or the field of the Spirit. It's one or the other. You're either gratifying selfish desires or you're gratifying the things of God. There is no middle ground. And Paul says, mark my words, God will not be mocked. For you will reap what you sow. If you sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap of the Spirit. If you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. That's what Galatians 5, 16 through 25 is all about. And if you didn't listen to the sermon last week where we talked about that, I encourage you to go on our website and give it a listen. But the point of what Paul is trying to reiterate is choose your field wisely. He says, pay attention and be intentional about the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to, the friends that you choose, the shows that you watch, the thoughts that you cultivate, because it matters. Examine your life. Are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the spirit? If you're sowing to the spirit, the fruit of the spirit will be evident and you're going to carry one another's burdens. If the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident, or if you're not willing to carry anybody's burdens, you're probably sowing in the wrong field. And my encouragement to you is repent today and start sowing again in the right field. And then Paul ends this passage by offering encouragement to followers of Christ to not grow weary in doing good. Um, I remember when I was coaching a football team in Bryan, uh, we had the players running gassers, 100-yard sprints, and they had to carry their shoulder pads above their head as they ran. And uh, we had this one big old boy. Uh, he just fell down about halfway through, and he was crying. And he was saying he didn't want to run anymore. They didn't like this. And I was just getting on him, right? I was yelling at him. I was saying, winners never quit, and quitters never win, right? Just typical coach speak. And then a few of my players went and they grabbed him. And they lifted him up, and they encouraged him to take another step. They encouraged him to keep going. And every step that he took, the whole team started cheering. And they said, keep going, keep going. And when he crossed the finish line, it was a dang celebration on that football te- with that football team. We were hooping and hollering and slapping high fives. We were ecstatic that our brother got back up, and he finished the race. Listen, life and ministry can be burdensome. It can be exhausting at times. But Paul pleads with believers in Christ to never giving up and doing good. For in due time, you're going to reap if you don't give up. So church, let me end by just saying, keep going. Keep fighting. Keep struggling. Keep reading. Keep praying. Keep encouraging, keep restoring, keep going, keep going. Don't lose heart. And for those of us that believe in Christ, our Savior goes before us. He has taken the burden of our sins. 
and he's given us his spirits that we would walk with him and love others. And he's going to carry us to the finish line. And when we get there, all of the heaven is going to bust out in celebration because we kept going. We kept going. So church, walk by the Spirit. Take another step. Carry one another's burdens. Carry your own load. And allow others to come alongside of you and love on you. Because that's what we're called to do when we trust God and walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not come back void. And we ask that your word would do exactly what it says it will do, that it would accomplish its purpose. Would you sanctify your people? And if there's anyone listening who does not know Christ, would they turn to Jesus and realize that we are saved by grace, through faith, by Jesus alone? God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for joining us again this morning. And we look forward to worshiping with you again next week. God bless.